Today, we're looking at Mark chapter 6, but for us to really grasp some of the significance of the events that are recorded in chapter 6, I, I really want us to just do a scan of the first five chapters before that we've already talked about here together and shared with you. And in that, I, I hope that you'll see some of the ups and downs that, that Jesus faced up to this point, and that you'll see the endurance of Christ and his perseverance. And I hope that also as you look at this, that maybe you would ask yourself, wow, if I was following Jesus at that point, what I at that moment said, forget it. Man, this is too tough. I'm calling it quits. See you later. Or to look at this and think in, the, in another light of going, you know what, Jesus? I'm ready. I'm ready to endure that. I'll go with you. I want to travel with you. Right? So, in the gospel account of Peter, recorded by Mark, we continue to see portrayal of Jesus, the servant on the move. The central words of Jesus in this gospel are, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knows his mission. A forerunner named John the Baptizer came to prepare the way for that mission. Jesus came and began healing and performing miracles, but he always preached a specific message wherever he went. In fact, after a time of early morning prayer with the Father, Jesus told his followers that one of the reasons that he had come was to continue to go from village to village preaching change for the coming kingdom. Jesus was on a mission. Jesus also recruited unlikely men and women to join him in this mission. Fishermen, tax collectors, and those who were looked down upon by the religious society. This brought a whole lot of criticism, but Jesus revealed more of his mission in his answer to that criticism. He said that he did not come for the spiritually healthy, but that he came to call sinners the spiritually sick. And as Jesus healed and performed miracles, there were, they were always followed by a claim, a claim about who he was, the Son of Man who is the Lord of time, Lord of the Sabbath, the Son of Man who has authority to forgive sins. Ooh, those are some big ones. Drew some fire. It brought out direct opposition from the religious leaders all around him in Israel. And they saw the large masses of people following him, and out of jealousy, those religious leaders, they began to plot against him, to plot to kill him just because of who he said he was. At that point, the religious leaders, they didn't know how to stand up to Jesus. They they tried to argue with him and and logically present some arguments from scriptures, but they, they couldn't stand up to Jesus and his wisdom and what he would say. And so then they chose another route. They chose to slander him. And they accused him of being satanic. They said, you drive out demons by the power of Satan. Wow. Calling good evil. Then a hit comes from people close to him. His family. His stepbrothers hear that he has no time to eat, take care of his own needs. And his stepbrothers come and say that he's out of his mind. Mark 3, 21. 
But Jesus doesn't even, doesn't let him deter him. He keeps pressing forward. He focuses on working with those who are ready to do God's will, seeing them as his mother and brothers. Jesus continues teaching, healing, and driving out demons. People touch him, and they're made well. Then he raises up a, a girl from, a, from the dead. She's alive. Jesus keeps moving on, not sticking around to glory in the moment, but sets out on his mission. He is there to preach the start of the kingdom. He's there to seek sinners and call them into this kingdom. He has come to serve and give his life as a ransom for many so they can enter that kingdom. And then we come to chapter 6. The next stop, Nazareth. He's had religious leaders come down on him. He's had his family come down on him. Now he comes to his hometown. Today, Nazareth is a, is a pretty large city, but back then it was nothing more than a clump of houses on the side of a hill. In fact, Jesus and his stepfather Joseph had the carpentry business. They probably didn't do their business in Nazareth because it, it probably wasn't a large enough village to even support that business, but they probably walked three miles to a, a Roman city called Sepphoris that was much larger. But here in this small village of Nazareth, a bedroom community outside of the big city, the place where he grew up in, Jesus is hit with doubt from others, doubt from his hometown friends and those who knew him growing up. These people knew him as the carpenter. They knew him as the son of Mary and Joseph, but not the son of God. I'm sure it was a tough hit, almost like a setback, but Jesus takes it in stride. He says, it's to be expected for a prophet to be without honor or not received in his hometown. Despite these hits, religious leaders, family, hometown friends, Jesus doesn't quit. He continues with his mission and sends out the 12 in pairs, giving them authority to heal and drive out demons. The 12 go out and preach that people should change. And then they do. They do heal people, and they do drive out demons. And it was as if Jesus had multiplied himself in these men, and word began to spread. People everywhere began to wonder, who is this Jesus fellow? And this is the right question. Who is he? Remember, the gospel is about the person of Jesus, and not just what he does, but who he is. And though these people had the right question, they were coming up with all kinds of crazy answers. Oh, it's one of the prophets of the old. It's maybe Elijah come back from the dead. And then there was someone up in the political ranks. Yeah, word traveled all the way to the top of the political leadership, the Jewish king Herod, the puppet of the Romans. He was superstitious and overwhelmed with guilt for killing John the Baptist. But he thought, it's John the Baptist come back from the dead. That's what's going on. And it's here in Mark chapter 6 that we get an instant replay that we find out that John the Baptist, who was imprisoned by Herod at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, was now beheaded and killed. So not only has Jesus been taking hits from the religious leaders, from family, doubt from hometown friends, but now his forerunner to his mission has been taken out by the government. That's rough. Why doesn't he just quit, pack up, go home, go back to carpentry. 
You know, if you can't convince the powerful people and religious leadership and the government, if you can't get them on your side and see your wonderful mission and join you in that wonderful mission, then why try it all? All he had organized for a team were a few fishermen, tax collectors, and a couple of zealots. How are they going to do this? How are they going to carry out this mission? I mean, this is hard work. The the demand is so much that he can't even get away for a day to have some time to hear how his 12 teammates did on their last mission that he sent them out on. Not even a moment of quiet. And then there's all these other things that keep coming up that are to the side of his mission. Helping hungry, hungry people eat. Helping the physically disabled people. It's overwhelming. Now his, his own team members are even feeling the weight of it all. How are we going to take care of 5,000 people, Jesus? It would take more than a year's worth of wages to feed them. Send them home, Jesus. But Jesus doesn't despair. He isn't overwhelmed. And he doesn't quit. Jesus not only remains faithful to his mission, but he sees the needs before him in relationship to his mission. He saw the great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. And so he called them and he began teaching them. And then taking the very little they had, five loaves and two fish, he multiplied it and fed all 5,000 with leftovers to spare, 12 baskets full. Well, that day originally started with Jesus, Jesus saying, hey, my 12, let's try to get away over to this other side of the lake and I just want to rest and talk about how your last mission went. But the crowds followed, he had to teach, he fed them, and it was late in the day. And so Jesus, he sends the disciples on ahead in the boat across the lake and says, hey, we'll meet at this agreed spot over here. And as he sends them off, Jesus then dismisses the crowd, stays behind, finishes the work after all he did that day. And then he goes and does what is needed most after taking some hits and still pushing forward. He goes and he takes a nice long nap. Is that what he did? No, he didn't take a nap. No, he went And he rewarded himself by stretching out on his lazy boy recliner with a glass of wine and watched Dances with the Stars. Is that what he did? No, he didn't do that. No. He may have looked up in the sky and saw some stars as he was praying to God the Father. But what Jesus did is he went off, went up the mountainside, and he prayed. Not the first thing that we might think of after a hard day or a hard week or a hard several months. It's a battle to stay on mission. And this battle needs prayer. Jesus goes and talks with the Father. He prays until the fourth watch of the night, which is about 3 a.m. Meanwhile, the disciples still haven't reached the destination across the lake. They're out in the middle pulling on the oars, and the wind and the waves are beating against them, and they're not getting very far. And it's at this moment that Jesus does something very incredible. He starts walking across the lake on top of the water. He's not wading in the water. He's not swimming in the water. He's walking on top of the water. 
and he's strolling, and he's making time because he catches up with the boat, and he looks like he's going to pass him. Jesus, in fact, looks rejuvenated. He looks refreshed while the disciples sitting in the boat are worn out, pulling on the oars and not getting anywhere. What's up with that? How could that be? Now, after the disciples have their major freak-out moment when they see Jesus, Jesus reassures them that it's, that it's him and it's okay. And he, and he says, take courage. Or some versions say, be of good cheer, which I, I think is a really perky English way of saying that. I, I can't really imagine Jesus, the Jewish Nazarene, really saying that. But, you know, so take courage. I, I think that's probably more accurate of probably what he really said. A little closer. And it's right about at this point, though it's not recorded here, that Peter gets an idea. Now, in the gospel account of Matthew, it it seems Peter is tired of going nowhere with the disciples in the boat. And he would rather travel with Jesus. And he says this, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you. I think that's a pretty good good request or, or prayer there. If it's really you, Jesus, command me to come to you. Well, surprise, surprise, Jesus says, come. And Jesus actually enables Peter to walk with him on the water. Of course, until Peter gets his eye on the wind and the waves, and then he begins to sink. And the scriptures say immediately, that that famous word in the gospel of Mark, immediately Jesus reached out, grabbed his arm rescued him, and then they got into the boat together. And it says there in Mark that as they climbed in, that the wind and the waves died down to calm. And that's the end of Mark chapter 6. Jesus had a mission. It wasn't easy to complete that mission. Jesus sought the help of the Father to carry out that mission. Jesus used his his divine power to do things no man could do that validated who he was and, and, and validated his mission, his mission to seek and to save us, his mission to give his life as a ransom for us so that we could enter that kingdom that he was preaching about. Jesus battled, and he battled for us. Now, if Jesus has called us to follow him and to join him in that mission, do we expect any less of a battle? Did you expect a cakewalk when Jesus said, come follow me? Do we expect that we will never face opposition or slander from those who oppose the kingdom? Do we expect that we'll never run into doubt? Do we expect that we'll never face long days with no rest? Do we expect that we'll never face overwhelming needs beyond our ability as humans to fulfill and to care for? Do we expect that we'll never see our friends and coworkers in faith pass through death? You can't quit because it's tough. You've been called to follow Jesus. He's endured for you. And he can sustain you and give you the strength to endure. There is a battle. And it's Jesus' battle. But he has invited us into it as his followers. It's a battle to love well. To sacrificially love And to serve as he does in hopes that more will leave the kingdom of darkness and join the kingdom of light. The majority of this battle, folks, is against our own flesh. 
Say it again. The majority of this battle is against our own flesh. We want to do what we want to do. But Jesus says, come, follow me. Come. And you know what? What he's asking us to do, we can't expect to continue on without seeking the help of our Lord in prayer. You and I, this church, we also can't get to our destination. We're like those disciples on the lake pulling on those oars as the wind and waves break against us. And we can't get to the other side without Jesus. We have to travel with Jesus. Either we get out of the boat and we walk on the water, or Jesus needs to get into the boat with us to calm the waves and tame the wind. Jesus knows who we are. There are no rich and famous people at Highland. Just a bunch of ordinary folks, fishermen types, tax collector types. That's who this group is. And in the same way, we need to, we need to say to the Lord, if it's you, Lord, command us to come to you. If you question the direction of where we're going, just ask Jesus. If it's you, Jesus, command me to come to you. If you question that, you're to give your life to Jesus. You're not going to listen to the voice of a man standing up here talking. You need to say, if it's you, Lord, calling me to follow you, to give my life to you, command me to come to you. You might be questioning, do I be, should I belong to a part of a community, to a church? Ask him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you. I believe that Jesus has commanded us to get out of the boat and come to him. It's impossible by our own power. Our power is so incredibly lacking. And we can't look at the wind and the waves. Jesus is the servant on the move. We, as a church, need to move with him. We have to travel with him. And where is Jesus going? He is going to serve, not to be served. And he's going to give his life as a ransom for many. I believe that Jesus stands at the crossroads of our city, Asheville, commanding us to build a community, to reach a community. It will be a battle, but it's his battle. And he is the one who can sustain us. He is the one who can tame the wind and the waves and enable ordinary people to do extraordinary things in his name. Let's live. Let's love. Let's give, let's build, and serve in his great, strong name, the name of Jesus. In the next few moments, we're going to continue our worship. And it's a time where we're looking and reflecting back, giving thanks. But it's also a moment where we're looking ahead and looking forward to what God is calling us to. And as we sing our songs, these songs that we've sung over the past five years are our prayers. Our prayers saying, Lord, we want to be more devoted to you. Devoted in prayer, devoted to the word, devoted to the church, devoted to the kingdom. Because you died for those. You died for us so that we could live. And no longer live for ourselves, but live for you. I've been praying those prayers of, Lord, multiply the little that we have the fish and the loaves, multiply our love, multiply our work, multiply our service, multiply our leaders, our groups, multiply our outreach, multiply our giving. 
May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us, establish the work of our hands for us. And may our hands be open hands. I pray that our hands will be open in praise, that our stance and our posture will not be the posture of defeat and fear, which is so widespread in the media today. They just slam it on us everywhere, every chance they get. That is not the posture we're to take as Christ fathers. We're to take the posture of worship and honoring God and standing before him in faith, not fear, open with God's timing, open with God's resources, open with our very lives. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. I'm praying these things, and I pray that you'll join me in this. Today, I'm still calling people to join us in our mission, to join Jesus on the move. I believe that he's asked us to build a community, to reach a community. So again, as we look back and reflect, as we look forward, we're going to be taking that special offering towards the community center. 10, 10, 10, that's today. But we're giving towards something that's not for ourselves. The building, it's too small. We can't meet in it. It's not for us to meet there. It's for us to use as a tool to reach people in this city, to love people well in this city. So as we worship, I ask you to join. To join us in this mission. Join with your hands, your feet, your voice, your life, your resources, everything. Let's follow him.